beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew 12, verse 36, the Lord Jesus speaks some sobering words, uh, words that grab your attention, words that might even make your hair stand up on end. In Matthew 12, verse 36, Christ Jesus says this, I say to you on the day of judgment, people will, will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So on judgment day, everyone here will come before the throne of the judge, our Lord Jesus Christ. And every word we have ever spoken in our life will be presented before him, and we will have to give an account. What did you say? Why did you say it? And also, how does this match up with how God wants you to speak? Now, this is sobering because, as I'm sure we know, it's so easy to speak careless words. Examine what you say day by day, and you're sure to find words of sin. Our text this morning shows us this very thing as well. It brings us face to face with the power, the danger, and the sinfulness of the tongue. And listening to everything our text says, there's one main takeaway from this passage. The use of our mouths is a measuring stick of our maturity as Christians. And how you speak it serves as a barometer of your Christian growth and your advancement in holiness. And also, as we examine this text, we'll also see how in light of how we stumble in this, we get a picture of the greatness of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So that brings us to the sermon theme this morning, which is this. Growing in Christian maturity means gaining control of our tongues. We're going to look at, first of all, the challenge, and then the danger, and finally, the goal. So first of all, the challenge. We are right in the middle of the Labor Day long weekend. Soon we will enter the regular routine of the year. One thing this includes, of course, is the start of a new school year. And so children and teenagers and also teachers, ready or not, here it comes. You know, when... I page through certain Christian magazines and often see advertisements for, uh, from Christian schools trying to attra- attract teachers to their school. It seems like there's always a bit of a shortage. In some ways, that's lamentable. But on the other hand, maybe it's not surprising given what the very beginning of our text says. Look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, these words are not meant to discourage any of you from pursuing a career in teaching. In fact, it's a career that young people among us, they should consider. It's a very honorable task. But these words do impress upon us the great responsibility placed upon teachers. That's true whether it be in a Christian school, 
whether it be teachers here in the Church of Christ or even parents as they teach their children at home. The great responsibility when it comes to teaching. You see, those who teach need to speak many words. And those words are meant to shape and mold those who listen. But there's a danger in this. Speaking many words also brings with it many opportunities for sin. In fact, refraining from sin with our mouths is one of the greatest challenges we all face. Just listen to verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. That's reality. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So it says we all stumble in many ways. So much for any theology of perfectionism where uh, Christians reach perfection in this life. It just it doesn't happen. We all stumble in many ways. But if a person could reach perfection, what would be a sure sign of that perfection looking at that person from the outside? Well, such a person would be able to perfectly control what he or she says and to never speak sinful words. Now, why is our speech such a measuring stick for our growth in holiness and Christian maturity? Well, it's because sins of the tongue are one of the most difficult to master. Words are cheap. Words come easy. Words are an expression of what lives in our hearts and in our minds. Sinful thoughts and sinful desires express themselves so easily in what we see. You might think we would have an easy time controlling what we see. After all, the tongue is such a small part of the human body. But even the strongest man alive can't fully control what he, say, what he says. That's because it's not a matter of human strength at all. Now, our text uses two illustrations to drive this point home. This, this text is, one of the lovely things about this text is it's filled with, filled with vivid illustrations. So parents also, maybe at lunchtime you can ask your children what illustrations our text uses to picture the power of the tongue. There will be two in the first point and one in the second point. And children, see if you can remember these illustrations. The first illustration tells us to picture a horse. Horses are incredibly powerful animals. Their long legs and strong muscles allow them to accomplish incredible feats. Think of a thoroughbred horse entered into a big race like the Kentucky Derby. The fastest horses often weigh over 1,000 pounds. Some of them reach speeds of over 70 kilometers per hour. And their hooves sound like thunder as they pound down on the track. Or think about a horse at a rodeo. I don't know if you've ever been to a rodeo or seen action on TV. Cowboys try with all their might to stay on a wild bucking bronco for a mere eight seconds. 
oftentimes they're sent flying off of the horse's back. That's the strength of a horse. And yet, if a rider wants to control a horse, how, did, how does he control such a powerful animal? Well, he just uses a small tool. He places a bit inside the horse's mouth. If he exerts a little bit of pressure on one side of the bit, he can make the horse go one way. And if he does the same thing on the other side, the horse goes the other way, wherever the rider wants the horse to go. So a bit is a small piece of equipment, but it can steer such a a large and powerful animal. And our text emphasizes to us, so it is with our tongues. They are a small member of our body. But so often the tongue is in control of us, steering the course of our life, rather than the other way around. The same is true for the other illustration used here at the beginning of our text. That is, our text tells us to picture a ship or a boat. An ocean-going ship can be, can be huge. That's what's true also in the time of the New Testament. They could build large ships powered by the wind. And when the winds pick up, the force exerted on the sails is incredible. Do you understand this? Just try carry around a, a piece of plywood on a windy day. See how much force the wind has. And yet these great ships, blown by such great winds, are controlled by a relatively small rudder at the back of the boat. The helmsman turns the rudder one way and the ship is steered in that direction. He turns it the other way and the ship again responds. Here our text tells us, so it is with our tongues. They are small compared to the rest of our body. And yet so often they are the thing that is steering us. No matter how strong we are, the likelihood of us controlling everything we say so that we never sin with our tongues is pretty much zero. And this brings with it far-reaching consequences. Our text is, is telling us this, the things you say probably have the most impact on your life out of, out of everything. You can have all the skills you want, all the knowledge you want, all the strength you want, all the riches in the world, but if you use your tongue in unwise and sinful ways, it will ruin it all. Furthermore, a person can have a great reputation, but one bad misuse of the tongue can tarnish that reputation long-term. See how that the use of our tongues, it guides the course of our life. This is what our text is saying. Think of this, for example, if a person is in the habit of lying, maybe to cover up sin, that's going to direct the entire course of that person's life. He or she will have to try to live in that false reality he's tried to construct, always in fear of being discovered. And so more more lies need to be spoken and more avoidance takes place. It 
guides the course of our lives. The words we speak also have the power to build up relationships or break them down. The course of marriages are often determined by what husband and wife say. How many marriages are damaged by hurtful words? The same goes for most relationships. Gossiping and slandering likewise ruins relationships. It increases hatred. So our text is saying the tongue is small, but its impact on our lives is perhaps greater than anything else on earth, and that is the challenge we face. That brings us to our our next point. So taking control of our tongues rather than our tongues controlling us is challenging to say the least. But our text shows us why we need to take this so seriously. And in the next part of this passage, I have to to say he doesn't mince any words. He just comes at us, so to speak, full blast. And there's no getting around it. You know, it's Actually, interesting that James uses such strong language. He had just said in verse 1 that not many of us should become teachers because we will be judged with more strictness also in the words we use. And that's because teaching presents many opportunities to stumble with our words. And yet, with that in the forefront of his mind, he still chooses these words to say. And so, he really means what he's saying, to get this point across. And of course, like all of Scripture, these words from our text are spoken ultimately by the Holy Spirit. And so, with these warnings coming, the Holy Spirit wants to wake us up to the danger of the tongue and the damage it can cause. So, the next part of this text presents the image or illustration of a forest fire. Children, That's the third image used by James. Try to remember that. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. If you've been watching the news at all lately, you've surely seen many news stories about forest fires. A quick-moving wildfire killed many people on the island of Maui, destroying many buildings, destroying a whole town. Pretty much all of Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories was evacuated because of of an approaching wildfire. The authorities said, you have to leave, you have to get out now. Parts of West Kelowna and the Shoe Swamp region in BC were devastated by raging fires. And both in Maui and in Kelowna, people had to escape the flames by jumping into nearby water. Again, huge amounts of destruction caused by these fires. And here, our text is saying the damage caused by the tongue when we sin with our mouths is like that. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, think of these, all these examples of wildfires, right? They didn't start out as raging fires, They started very small, and then they just grew and grew. The damage multiplied. Sometimes it can happen that careless backcountry campers don't adequately put out their campfire, and all it takes is a few small uh, embers to light up some dry grass nearby, 
And soon you have an out-of-control inferno. The tongue is like that fire, says verse 6. Maybe small, but it can set the world ablaze with sin and destruction. It is a fire, says our text. It sets the course of our life on fire, and the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. Just think of how the fall into sin is brought about by Satan's forked tongue. And after the fall, we immediately see sins of the tongue. God asked Adam if he ate from the tree, and he told him not to. And what did Adam do? He used his mouth to try shift the blame to Eve, sinning with his mouth. And from that point on, the Bible consistently portrays sins of speaking as an embodiment of our fallen nature as a whole. Think of how Psalm 10 described the evil man. You read that entire psalm, he consistently uses evil words. Think of Psalm 12, indicts people for lies, flattering, and boasting. So James 3, I have to say, again, I just lays it all all out on the line here Uh, again and again. It says, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, an entire cosmos, a complete universe, even a multiverse of sin and wickedness. It's set among our members, defiling the whole body. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So that is uh, quite the, yeah, quite the picture of fallen humans, and the use of their mouths. At this point, you should ask, why does our text use such strong language? Is it just to berate us and maybe leave us down in the depths also as we're convicted of the sins of our own mouth? The answer is no, not at all. But God is waking us up to the danger of the tongue, a danger that we often overlook. That's because it's so easy to speak sinful words. Your words can do greater damage than you might think. I can give you a few examples. We could offer many more, but here's some. First example is of using our mouths to bully someone. Now, bullying can happen through physical violence, but so often it happens with words. Demeaning words, hurtful words, hateful words, words meant to tear down someone else, they all leave lasting scars. The bullying someone goes through in school years can damage them for the rest of their lives. So much damage caused by the tongue. Here's another example that I've come across before. Uh, It's damaging words spoken about the church. This one might be a little bit different or surprising to you, but I want to ask, how do you speak about the church and the other members of the church? Do you do so with love and with care? Or do you speak about the church with a bitter and cynical attitude? I'll give you a concrete example. Years ago, this was before I lived in Winnipeg, I came across a young woman who said to me, oh, my dad always said, if you want to find a hypocrite, you'll find it in the church. 
Now, let me first say, I want to be careful with what I do with that example. This young woman's father was not there to give context to that remark. And I don't know what experiences this man had which prompted him to say this. Maybe he was hurt really badly by someone or others in the church. But I could tell from this young woman's words, from her attitude, this father had passed down to his child a cynical attitude about the church by, by the words he used. It may have felt like no big deal, but the destruction it caused was immense. So that's a second example. And there's a third example. And you know what? I'm going to build off that example of hypocrisy. Now, while a cynical attitude towards a church is never helpful, perhaps there's nothing so damaging as using our tongues indeed in a hypocritical way as Christians. Doing that will only cause others to blaspheme the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we use our mouths? Is it consistent with though, as those who profess the name of Jesus Christ? Or do we use one type of language on Sunday and a different set of language during the rest of the week? Swearing and cursing our way through the week. You tell and laugh at dirty jokes or make light of sin with your mouth. Love it if we do that. We will not bring glory to our Father in heaven, but we will cause others to blaspheme his glorious name. And all these things show the danger of the tongue. And that's why also Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, gives us many Proverbs in this regard, warning us about using our mouths in sinful ways. That brings us to our last point, the goal. So one thing is clear from this text, and I think also from the sermon so far, is that the tongue can so easily be used for sin. And it shows how far short we have fallen from God's perfect image. After all, I remember what we sang from Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. But here, because God's words are like this, we can also rejoice. Yes, God's word in this place, in this text, shows us the extent of our corruption as sinful people. But God's word, also here, but in many places, speaks to us about God's great grace in Jesus Christ. And seeing the extent of our sin, also with the words we use, it highlights the, the heights of God's forgiveness. Remember what verse 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. And that's true. Examine your life. We stumble in what we desire, what we think, what we say, and what we do. None of us are exempt from this, and this includes how we speak. And yet several times in this passage, James refers to the people he's writing to, to God's people here, as brothers. Brothers in the Lord. These same people who struggle to control their, their mouths. 
And God here is referred to as our Father. He's our Father in Jesus Christ. These same people who stumble in sin with their speech. And these things can only be true if God is merciful, which He has been in Jesus Christ. Consider again what the Lord tells us in Matthew 5. Whoever says to his brother, you fool, is liable to the hell of fire. Well, in and of ourselves, we would be all liable to that fire. That's where our Lord Jesus Christ came. Never sinning with his mouth. Always speaking the truth to the glory of God. And he came also to take that judgment on himself. And on the cross, he was punished for all those sins that we commit also with our speech. So God's pure word also says to us in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, see the use, the positive use of our mouths? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sins to, to God, he forgives them. He does it through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> he also cleanses us from all unrighteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. This includes cleansing us from sinfulness of the tongue. Verse 6 uses that striking language saying <coughs> that the sinful mouth is set on fire by hell. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see something far different. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. <coughs> and what happened in that moment when we see tongues of fire resting on the heads of the disciples? <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord Jesus baptized them with the Holy Spirit and with fire from heaven. This was not fire from hell, it was fire from heaven, a purifying fire. And this changed how the apostles spoke. Their words were now more and more controlled by the Holy Spirit, and they proclaimed the wonders of God, the wonders of His salvation to sinful people. And that same Holy Spirit, who is a purifying fire, He's at work in you who believe. He's at work to restore us back into God's perfect image. You know, as those who are made in God's image, we were commissioned by God to have dominion over the whole earth. And you see something of that also displayed in this text when it talks about taming animals, right? Humans do that every day. We, we train and we tame wild animals, make them obey us. But we display our fallen image and our failure to tame the tongue. And so verse 8 says, no human being can tame the tongue. But while no human can do this, the Holy Spirit can. He does in our lives more and more. And as those who have the Holy Spirit, we now make it our goal to speak in a way that is consistent with being redeemed children of God. See, the last part of our text points out the inconsistency we often display. Listen to verse 9. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, 
And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. No, this is out of place for those who have been bought with the blood of Christ. Can't we see the inconsistency in this? Humans were made in God's own image. How then can we dare curse them with our mouths? When we praise God, we're showing honor and respect to our majestic creator. Shouldn't that also change how we speak about his creatures made in his image? These things ought not to be so, says the Spirit through James. And then he further illustrates this with some examples from nature. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Right? These examples from nature show that there's one source of something that produces only one thing. One spring, one opening of that spring should produce only salt water or only fresh water. An olive tree should, it does in nature, only produce olives. Right now, we're coming into harvest time. Imagine a farmer goes into his field of corn to pick some corn to eat. He goes to one plant, he shucks one ear of corn, and there in his hands he sees a beautiful cob full of juicy, sweet corn. Lovely to eat. After that, he grabs another ear from the same plant and shucks that one too. But lo and behold, what does he see? He sees a big fat zucchini. Boy, that would be surprising. We know that simply doesn't happen in nature. Our text is saying that's also how out of place it is for us to misuse our mouths as Christians, as those who are royal children of the majestic God. It just doesn't match up. It doesn't make sense for people who are God's children and who have the Holy Spirit to use their mouths in sinful ways. So it's true. We will continue to stumble in this. But here's the goal. To speak pure words consistently. To speak all the time in a way that matches with the holiness of God. The more we do this, the more we will bring glory to our Heavenly Father. The more we do this, the more we will grow in Christian maturity. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing Hymn 81, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4.